Welcome to the Forge American Missional Podcast, where we discuss faith, mission, the church, and the intersection of all three. Today on The Interview, we have the opportunity to talk with Jesse Krushank. Jesse is a disciple maker and a facilitator of spiritual transformation. She is an ordained Foursquare minister and a nationally recognized leader in the fields of experiential education and educational neuroscience. She holds a master's degree from Harvard in mind, brain, and education. Jesse is passionate about creating organic systems that facilitate holistic human and organizational development. To learn more about Jesse, check out her website at yourbrainbyjess.com. Thanks for listening, and we're glad you're joining us at the interview. Welcome, Jesse Krushank, to the Forge America Missional Podcast. We're excited to have you on today. Hey, it's great to be here, and good job of pronouncing my name. That's not an easy name. You, you, yeah, you've got a lot of silent letters in there, and so it, it, it's, it's kind of beautiful. It's a beautiful name, and so... The good old Scottish, you know. There you go. Love it. Uh, and we're joined uh, today by my two partners, uh, Brenna in Oregon and Alan in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, you guys doing well? Doing fantastic. Awesome. Very good. Man, I'm, I'm living the dream in Knoxville, Tennessee. Nice, nice, nice. Well, uh, Jesse, thank you for taking time to, to join us today. We're, we're really excited to have you on. This is your first time on the Forge uh, podcast. And so you you've, you've, your name has actually uh, been on our get list for, for quite some time. And so uh, we just worked with the nerve to, to ask you out. And so... Oh, geez, yeah. am I really that scary? Oh, no. But just you, you, it's like, I didn't know if we had the brain capacity to actually have a really solid conversation with you. And so... It, we, and here I thought it was the name. I thought it was the, my last name that just it. kind of prevented these things. Well, we added Brenna as a host this year. And like, we was like, okay, we have the brain level now that we can actually have this conversation. We won't look like complete idiots. And so... Oh, dear. Well, you've really set me up now. I'm going to sip some more of my coffee and wake up a little bit more so that I can live into what you just stated. Oh, cool. Well, well, Jesse, uh, I I know for uh, your name is one of those names that's been around our tribe uh, just because we're all kind of interconnected with Alan Hirsch's kind of ecosystem of of organizations. And so, I mean, Jesse, tell us a little bit about your story, how you got connected into the missional incarnational disciple making movement. Uh, and I know our, our listeners would love to hear that. Yeah. So I met Alan in 2014, but I, I would say that my journey and all of this starts a, a little bit before that, about in 1998. I graduated from high school, went to college at the University of Wyoming, and got involved with a ministry called Solid Rock Outdoor Ministries. And that was just a little tiny ministry out of the church. We called ourselves Hoods in the Woods, but I. <laughs> I started guiding rock climbing. I, well, I'd started guiding rock climbing when I was a teenager because I was a professional rock climber when I was 13, 14, and 15. And so I go into college. I start guiding. I had been doing some high-altitude mountaineering, so I'm guiding that, working in a ministry. And we, when I graduated college, I was invited to come on full-time to that ministry and, and make it an entire program to make it a school and get it accredited as a as a top tier outdoor program, wilderness school. So I did that for three years, got us accredited and just helped with my brothers and the Lord build this ministry that actually took people into the wilderness for 40 days for immersion discipleship. 
So I've been doing emergent discipleship and teaching people how to do that, like training the instructors, teaching them how to create these deep, you know, authentically brave, spiritually deep communities in the middle of the wilderness while we're doing adventure, you know, actual rock climbing, actual snow mountaineering, 40 days, 150 miles. Like, so I did that. And that was my world and my life until 2010. I took a sabbatical, went to grad school at the, you know, the fancy place, and then came back, thought I was going to be there at the wilderness ministry forever when the Lord called me out of that spent spent three years doing an organ a, a corporate turnaround. I worked at an engineering firm and did a corporate turnaround by bringing the kingdom, just all the same skills but none of the language. And then the Lord called me from there into denominational ministry with Foursquare Denomination, and that's the same time I got connected with Alan. So I had already been using APEST for leadership development. I had already been building and teaching people how to build communities through liminal experiences. Already knew what liminality was <laughs> when I met him, but got connected there in, in 2014 as part of the 100 Movements team in Liminality Communitas and just bringing that experience uh, right. to the team. So, and then the rest is probably more well-documented yeah. <laughs> through all the books and all the stuff. Well, you, you use this word uh, liminality. And so uh, it's one of those words that we, we use often in Forge. And it, it, it's awesome. You knew what it meant. There's so many people that read that word. And then they like, it's it's like, it's the equivalent of, oh, what is the Dallas Willard book that everyone claims they've read, but no one actually has read? But, yes, Divine there it is. Conspiracy. Yes, it's like, oh, yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm very familiar. No, you're not. You've never actually read that book. That's that's liminality in our world. It's like, liminality, yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I get that. Have, they have no idea what it truly means. And so can you unpack that idea for us uh, and for our listeners? Yeah. So there was this Danish scholar in I, whose name I just blanked right now, but he would go and study and, and study tribal um, rituals and, and situations in, in Africa. And he's the one who coined it. So liminality comes from the word liminal, which means threshold. And it's a threshold experience experience between two different it's not necessarily states of being as much as like community identities. So you have a community identity and then you go through an experience. And on the other side, you have a new community identity. And he talked about it specifically in the in, in coming of age rites of passage for merging into adulthood. And because we were working with teenagers and young adults who at the time, the conversation, of course, in the early 2000s, based on Christian culture, was about rites of passage and the lack of entrances into adulthood. So we started reading, like the the actual scholarly work, because you know I'm an I'm an original sources kind of girl. That's why I'm a good academic, but I'm bad I'm a bad evangelical, but a good academic in that way. But but got into just. What does it mean to actually help people transition into different places of identity? Because if, you know, discipleship is a journey of identity formation and identity change, then you should probably learn about what identity formation and identity change like actually looks like as a sociology, sociological community journey. So liminality is that change. It's a change of identity. And if we all have these experiences in our life where God is changing our identity and he's trying to form it. And if we participate with it, then we're being a disciple. And if we don't, the actual result is trauma. When we don't let our identity be recreated, even though the circumstance is trying to do that, the result is actually traumatic 
malformation, parting your soul, getting stuck in different parts of your life. So when we work with it, really amazing results. When we don't work with it, really bad, you know, consequences. So yeah, that's super fascinating. I've actually never heard that, uh, the, the trauma piece. Can you unpack that? So I, I would imagine there are, are many leaders across the country who, I mean, we just get, we get in ruts. And it's like, oh, no, it's just the status quo. We just keep doing the same thing. Unpack how, like, I don't know, maybe even if you have examples of, of how that's played out, especially in the church, because I could see how that would have really big uh, implications. Yeah, so a couple easier ones to, to kind of grasp, and then we can move it to the church one, is think about marriage, right? You were single, and then you were engaged, and that's your liminal space, right? Because you're in between, and then you're married. And so being married is a new state of identity and a new social contract. And if you're trying to live being as a married person, as if you're single, like you don't allow yourself to be reformed and that identity to be recreated, um, problems, right? Serious problems if you're trying to live single while you're married. All right. Then think about it through being a teenager, moving into adulthood. There are, if you're still trying to live as a teenager while you're in your mid-20s, yeah. right? Bad choices, probably really expensive. Hopefully no one's protecting yeah. you from those consequences and you're actually experiencing them. But but bad things happen. So so then if we think about faith development, so then the grid for development that I use is James Fowler's faith development theory because it's actually based on other developmental theories. It's based on how we change, how the brain changes, how the way we make meaning of our life changes. It's not based on some sort of obscure highly manufactured timeline. So I really don't like any other, most any other. There's there's a couple that are okay, but James Fowler, faith development. When God is trying to change our identity and we don't partner with that or the church and environment that we're in won't let us change, like deconstructing, there are two types of deconstruction and deconstruction is a liminal experience. God is trying to teach you something new and recreate your identity so that we become more and more like Jesus. And if we have a faith environment that doesn't help us do that, or at worst gets in our way and says, well, no, actually to be different, you have to leave us because we're going to be the same and we can't hold space with you to, to be on this journey. So then then that way the church actually gets in the way of disciple making and discipleship and the discipleship journey. So the result of that in that experience socially is, is traumatic like there's betrayal, there's rejection. Um, so if I don't, let's say I choose my church and I don't choose to follow Jesus in that, then there are places where I am now out of step with God's will. I haven't followed him where he's trying to lead me. And then the and there's less grace there, right? Because God's not going to be codependent. He's not going to partner with our bad behavior. And so then we experience being out of his will that way, the lack of grace as I mean, man, a bad situation with grace is still a bad situation, but a bad situation without grace is trauma. So that's kind of the super short awesome. version of unpacking that. It's There's so much to unpack in what you just said. The thing that stuck out to me when you were talking about liminality being a change in identity in community. So it wasn't a change in identity individually. It's a change in identity in community. And I think our culture is really about individualism, how unpack that change in identity and community and how that interacts with their individualistic culture right now. 
Yeah. So so it's somewhat a both and. Right. The, the, but it's not just an individual change, because if I change, then my community needs to accept me new. Right. One of the greatest gifts that a community can give any person is to receive them current in their current place in their where God's, you know, whether that's a, a pit and, a, and the part of the suck and the swirl or whether that's, wow, you really like have changed and you've learned this and you have revelation there. And now we want to receive revelation from you. So so to be current with people is, is such a treasure, and that allows us to journey at, in real time with them and with the Lord. So, so if I, but it's kind of this, it's, it's a rhythm of, of like breathing where I change and then my community accepts me or my community is moving and I need to, and in order for belonging, I kind of move with them and that causes changes in me. So it's a both and kind of a give and take rhythm of breathing because we're never supposed to be formed outside of community. And that's the individualistic aspect of the way that we think about faith and discipleship is just really, it's really broken. There, there are individual choices we have to make, but God created us to be a herd species. God created us to know ourselves by the way we know others. God created us to be incarnate with others, right? So the ultimate goal, the supreme existence of the Christian faith is not this disconnected, you know, unempathetic, disembodied experience. Okay, that's Buddhism, right? That's something else. But it's it's an incarnation, not out of codependency, but out of health, where where God is with us and we are with others in deep transformational ways, and we can do that in a healthy way. So if we don't embrace the community aspect of disciple making, we're not actually making disciples. You know, if you're saying that if church communities aren't allowing people to grow and change, that they're actually getting in the way of discipleship and causing trauma. I mean, that's, that's yep. huge. That's huge. What needs to be true of a community that they allow for growth and change? I mean, at a big level, I'd say they need faith. <laughs> they need to trust Jesus. Yeah. They need to see, you know, the Holy Spirit as the one who leads us into truth. Jesus is the definition of truth. There's a lot of humility, but I don't think that people are in a, are, are necessarily coming to that conversation thinking they're not humble. I think the enemy just talked them into the wrong responsibility. Most church leaders, I find, have embraced the wrong narrative of what they're accountable and responsible for. And That's so good. And so if they can just back off of that, they can we can recalibrate to what Jesus says we're accountable for, even in leadership roles. And and then we won't get in the way. We'll actually partner with what God is doing. That's tremendously harder. That's that requires so much more growth on our part, much more than you can get in, in a Bible college education or seminary education. Like that is an ongoing journey for, for us. So as ministry leaders, we increase our capacity to hold space with questions and deconstruction and sin. If you don't know how you deal with sin as a community and you can't find your way to do that in a healthy way, you'll never get to a community that forms disciples because discipleship is the sin coming to the surface and God giving us his instead. And what is the provision of Jesus and the cross in that space? That is what discipleship is. And so if you as a community can't hold sin without rejecting it, then you can't make disciples. That's, gosh, that's insane. 
because I'm, I'm as I as I sit here and listen, one even some conviction in my own leadership, you know, years ago, you know, like where were you? Where were you in, in 1990? You know, 1999 when we're yeah, right. I was screwing well, this yeah. up and learning so it the hard way. That's today, right. You know? Can you can you speak to the idea of change uh, and more 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 specific, like change resistance? Because I, I, there are so many churches out there who you ask them, what, what's your, your deepest desire for your church? Oh, make disciples, see people come to know Jesus. But they're so change resistant, like that idea of a, even allowing people to transform, to change. And, and I love how you really explain this idea of, you know, who you once were and who you are now and that process in between. I mean, I think we get in, we get in, we get in front of ourselves and, and make it really hard for people to have that change. It's like, it, it makes me think of like recovery ministry where people are going through recovery and we refuse to look at someone. We just still see them as an addict. We still see them as like, oh, no, no, no. You're still that person that I knew from back then. We don't let you live out your new identity. So how does like change resistance play a role in this for church leaders? It's such a, it's such a deep question because how we change is the ultimate thing that the, the question of my life like how does God created us to change and how do I partner with that and not get in the way of it? Because, and even if I just don't know how to partner with it, but I'm not getting in the way with it, then okay, there's a win. Like I don't want to be part of the problem. I may not know the solution, but yeah, I don't want to be part of the problem because then I'm on the devil's side <laughs> yeah, and I, I ain't into that. <laughs> I don't want to be found standing with the enemy, making things worse. So f- here's where I've come to in the way I articulate it this is a new a new way of articulating it for me in the last year. Um, but the, you know, change, the process of change is the process of liminality. So our avoidance of liminality is our avoidance of chain and our avoidance of chain is our avoidance of liminality. There is no other way. So God has created liminal spaces. He brings liminal experiences for the purpose of change. And in between is rest and celebration. Like take a moment, you know, do your Psalms 23 and just take a take a breather, appreciate it for the moment that it is, because it's not the goal. It's just the breathing spot. It's it's the timeout. It's the break. The rest is the work and the actual purpose of, of following Jesus and, and being a disciple. So, yeah, we, we have our values uh, inversed. <laughs> And so we miss the rest and we miss the celebration because we think we've that's the place we're supposed to live. When we're actually created to be a wilderness people, not as an exile, but as a traveler, right? We're between here and heaven. We're in like this life, whether you want to call it purgatory or liminality, it is, it is in between the now and the not yet. So there are things that God created us in the way that he created us that either can be used for our good or for our ill. So... The brain, this is going to hurt your heart, and I apologize for this, but the brain does not seek truth. The brain is not interested in truth because if it were, it would change easily. If it were, paradigm shift wouldn't be so catalytic. If it were, we wouldn't have to go through the, the suck in order to change. We would, we would lean in and we would embrace it and it would be amazing and it would be easy, but it's freaking hard. And so it takes liminal experiences in order to do that. The other, the other thing is that the heart doesn't seek truth either. So the heart seeks belonging. I want to be connected with you. 
And the brain seeks identity. The brain is about identity formation and then protecting that on the other side. So if we're being conformed into the image of Jesus, then that works in our favor. Because now I can go into a community where someone is behaving poorly, where there is sin, and someone's trying to bring me into their narrative that oppresses me. But if my identity is formed in Christ, then those mechanisms protect me and I can be in that space with you and not partner with you in your sin. Yeah. Right? Incarnation. But if my identity is not being formed in Christ, then those mechanisms are barriers because I'm not allowing myself to be changed. So the way God made us are benefits on the discipleship journey. But if we're resistant to the liminality, if we're resistant to the change process, then they work to keep us where we are, even while God moves on. And then we have those mechanisms of trauma. I uh, am a shepherd on a pest, very strongly a shepherd. So very risk adverse. (laughs) I want to sit and sing Kumbaya and that's about it. Uh, And the, the thing that I've had to do, the question I've had to ask myself to push myself is, but if you don't risk, what are you risking on the back end? Like if you don't change, if you don't do anything, then what are those risks? And so I've almost had to like put my fear of risk uh, in front, from in front of me to behind me to propel me forward. Like if you don't move, if you don't risk, there is inherently risk. So yeah, get after it. I love that because it's, it's only the spirit that pursues truth, right? So it's not us, it's the spirit in us. So I love, I love, love, love that. I love that. Gosh. I, I mean, I mean, I feel like we could probably spend another 30 minutes, an hour just going down this rabbit hole, but we will shift because Jesse, you're on here because we want to hear about uh, some of the new things that you're working on. And so uh, you just launched Whoology. And so it sounds like a Dr. Seuss, uh, you know, uh, program, but it's not. <laughs> it's actually very, very brilliant. Uh, I've, I've, I've jumped on and done the first sessions or two, and it's really good. And so uh, tell us, tell us what Whoology is. Where did that idea come from? What do you, what's your hopes and dreams for it? And what do you, what would you love to see the legacy of this thing uh, kind of be? Oh man. Um, I, yeah. So I can, I can speak at a high academic level. I can train church leaders, but having spent so much time with adults just in the wilderness, I also have a, a huge heart and passion for the everyday ordinary Christian. I think that the kingdom is amazing. And if we're actually participating in the kingdom, then then the average, even a mediocre church can bring a presence of the kingdom. And if we lean into how Jesus created us, then the average, even mediocre person can make a disciple. So whoology is about teaching the person in the pew how to be a disciple maker without having to go to seminary, without having to learn how the brain works, without having to learn all of these complicated things. But it is informed by those things, but those things aren't talked about. So, so whoology is about how to be a disciple maker, the relationship between the disciple maker and the disciple, how the disciple maker is to think about that journey. Like I said, without being highly educated and without being a church leader. And, and the reason why I wrote it is because I've trained thousands of people to be disciple makers in the, in the wilderness context. And then I came into the church world and all the books on discipleship are written either to leaders and they conflate disciple making with being a church leader. And those are not the same thing. Like if you're a church leader, you should be disciple making, but you shouldn't 
it shouldn't only be the people who are the leaders who are making disciples. Like that's, there's too many steps. It's too high of a bar. We're never going to be movemental. And I don't think it's a requirement Jesus made, right? So he looked out at everybody and said, all y'all go make disciples. And we haven't equipped all y'all to be disciple makers. So there was this gap that I saw started writing and bringing the different the different things that I've used for a couple of decades to teach disciple makers into the class. So it's about telling your story, right? So disciple making is letting yourself be changed by Jesus or being a disciple is letting yourself be changed by Jesus and making a disciple is coming alongside someone else and helping them be changed by Jesus too. Like that's it. It's not actually more complicated than that. And that can be really hard, but it's not complicated. So just kind of taking out all of the noise coming down to the function of of how to walk alongside someone else, how to hear from the Lord, how to em- learn new things with them, how to embrace the struggle, experience revelation so that we can live changed by Jesus. So it follows cool. the hero's journey. And because yeah. that's written on everybody's heart, like that's universal to the human experience. And so it just follows that and uses that. So even a high school student can use it. Well, so much that we you've already kind of shared uh, with us is the idea, the, the importance of how we think about things. And so can you, I know one of the one of the things that you really desire for Whoology is to help people think differently about discipleship. We've talked about the idea of change. If you're change resistant, you are discipleship resistant, essentially. I, I feel pretty comfortable making that statement. How 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 should we be thinking about discipleship? Because I know so many of us just, oh, I just, I need to get more content. I need to get more, more knowledge and then I'll, I'll be set. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm thinking about a teenager, Jesus, you know, right before he goes to the, in the ascension, he's looking at a teenager and he's like, go make disciples. What is, what is it that he is saying? What is it that that person is hearing? And what is the expectation on the other side? So I really believe what Neil Cole says here and that disciple making is, is done by a community through apprenticeship. And it's for the purpose of increasing our union with God. Not our knowledge of God necessarily, especially in the Western context where we think of that as like our learnedness as opposed to like a Hebraic knowledge of God, but it's union with God. That's what we want to increase. So if I'm a teenager, what is it that I am sharing with you that helps increase your union with God? And the answer for me in that is is my revelation. What has heaven actually taught me? So I want to I want to help people articulate what heaven has taught them, those revelations, those testimonies. Not testimony as much as like here's my, you know, narrative, my biography, but but testimony as in here's who I was and here's how God changed me and here's who I am now. Like that is a miracle of heaven and I believe we're each accountable to share that. But not necessarily more. So if you don't know, don't teach it to someone else. If you haven't experienced it and and heaven hasn't opened up the mystery and the wonder of that piece of passage of scripture, you don't need to disciple somebody else in it, right? So don't share what you don't know, but what you do know, you are accountable to share. I absolutely firmly have believed that. And I believe there's power in that. So then when we do this together as a community, I share my revelation about the parts that God has shown me. You share your revelation about the parts that God has shown you. And all together, we make this mosaic of amazing community that helps each other increase our union with God. Yeah. 
boom, that's simple, right? We've made it, yep. we've made it so freaking complicated. Yeah, like true. I'm a little passionate here because I have been, I have been to the ivory tower and we have made it so complicated. And I mean, it's like we left LA and we were going to New York, but somehow we found ourselves in Florida. Right. We've taken so many wrong turns. I mean, Constantine professionalized it. The Enlightenment rationalized it. The Reformation sermonized it. The Industrial Revolution systematized it and the evangelical movement individualized it. Like we have taken so many wrong turns. And my hope is that we can just turn the car around and and find the way that Jesus made it simple. And we can stand before God with a clear conscience and say, yeah, I just shared what you told me to. I just shared what you taught me. And and that is everything. And that is enough. And maybe we can find our way back to disciple making again. So I'd be kind of curious about when you're looking at some of this, what is the impact that you see on? Because obviously you're, you are wanting to directly Im- impact, you know, the people in the pews, right? So it's almost like circumventing the church leaders almost, you know, not really. I get it. You know, you're like, hey, you no, because the church leaders are my job. Helping the church yes, leaders yes. changes my yeah. employment. Uh, and we'll get to that one. But but I love the the thinking this through and what are the concepts or the ideas of what this could mean for how the church functions? Because right now the church and we all know this, the church, I think, you know, when you talk about the different stages, I mean, we're still stuck in the Reformation where we've sermonized everything. And the sermon is the central piece of all gathering, all everything. It's come listen to some some maybe it's one person teach or a group of people teach, but this idea of discipleship is so important that you know I think it would change the structure, function, model, all the different things of the church. And so I, I'm kind of curious of what you think about like the, how would that impact you know current ch- church stuff, especially as we're coming out of COVID and trying to figure out what actually church is anymore. Yeah, yeah, I think now these are thoughts that also get me in trouble because. The sermon is great for inspiration, and and I preach, but my paradigm of preaching is I'm the warm-up act. I'm there to build trust, rapport, get you inspired, open up your heart and your soul. And at the end of, towards the end, like the last quarter of every sermon I preach, I want to facilitate a divine human encounter. I want to help you be ready to ask heaven a question And I am confident because he does that heaven answers. So create, so facilitating a divine human encounter moment between you and heaven, because it doesn't matter what I say. And I know you're never going to remember it. I mean, you might remember that, you know, the shoes I wore because I wore fabulous shoes, or you might remember like my posture or whatever, but like, and, and there'll be testimony in there and, and revelation. And, and I do trust the spirit is working. But change only happens in the conscious mind. And so I want heaven to say something to you. I want you to ask heaven for something and that to happen. So that's my paradigm of of preaching and and what I try to facilitate. Okay, that is still not disciple making. That's teaching, right? Disciple making involves relationship and journey and the ability to ask the follow-up question. If you can't ask the follow-up question, it's not disciple making. Whether that's relational or they're dead right? You can't be discipled by someone who doesn't know you. That changes the purpose of the church. And instead of, so then we should do together what we can only do together. And that's that conversation. And that's that testimony sharing. And that's that asking questions and processing. Uh, there's just very little in our design that gets yeah, us I've, there. You know, one of the things in Forge, and, and gosh, if people are listening to this, they're, they're, shut up, Terry, you say this too much, but the action reflection philosophy is like, if you don't have that in 
your disciple making. Uh, you're just bold enough to say it. you're not making disciples. That's not discipleship. So I love it. That's so strong. Well, and I don't think Sunday, the, the worship gathering is for inspiration and fellowship and replenishment. It's not for disciple making. It's a celebration. It's not disciple making. Disciple making is Every other minute of every other day, being a disciple and walking along someone else as a disciple maker. And I just value for the gathering, right? But because we misunderstood it, we didn't value it for what it actually was. Man, it should be rest. It should be celebration. It should be, oh yeah, let's let's remember why why we we hack it out the rest of the week. So I am for a gathering. I'm just not for the idea that that is actually making disciples. That is a a misunderstanding of how God created us to learn and change. All right, Jesse, you uh, are working with the Future Church Company. Uh, So tell us what that is uh, and what you guys uh, have going on there. Yeah, so the Future Church Company we both do we do both consulting and tool making um, for denominations through a toolkit called Denominee, um, for churches through a toolkit called Pivot, and uh, specifically the Funnel Fusion, which fuses both an attractional funnel with a discipleship disciple sending funnel. So the in and the out all the way through. Um, that's the new one coming coming out being broadcast broad this year. So that one will be new this year for people to experience um, at a macro level. And then unique, the life plan. How what is how did God make you? Who did he call you to be? And this may not be surprising to any of you, but my two words of my life call are catalyzing development. It's something <laughs> yeah. that I just do in every conversation and in every room, whether I want to or not. Just how God uses me. It's 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 I would say it's my anointing. And the unique process helped me name that and partner with it better than I had. I'd been resisting it, right? That whole liminality change thing. You're like, ah, people don't really like change. If I have an anointing for change, that doesn't always win me friends. And that was hard to deal with. You know, I just heard what you said, that you study brain science and you also still struggle with that process or, you know, that that this is a hard thing, even though you understand it still personally, it's, it's challenging. Oh yeah. Yeah. All the things that I teach are lessons learned from making mistakes. As it should be, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, that was my ethic, but not everybody. Uh, I mean, I come from a super poor family in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming. I have, I have my whole like first 18 years of my life is full of lots of trauma like actual trauma. And so all of these things are things that the God has recreated in me. And if I hadn't walked the path, I wouldn't know the value of it. Then with my work with denominations and helping them change, because I care about change in the personal level, but I also care about change at an organizational level. So how does an organization become a disciple-making organization? Could a denomination become a disciple-making organization? Like, yeah. like that's a phenomenal thought. And that's a hope that I carry. So working with future church, get to work with different denominations, get to work with different churches and church networks. So beginning to lean into that skill set of helping 
helping organizations and ministries become disciple making again. And your your role with Future uh, Future Church is you're the director of certification, correct? Yeah. So so yep. that is so if we have leaders that are that are more on the teacher side and and you know they've thought about what would it look like to to join in and maybe help kind of spread the word, you're the person that they would want to connect with, correct? Yep. So we're setting up the schedule for 2022. Sometimes it's super weird for me to say that. I'm like, like we're going to have to wait till 2023. Like I wormhole. I think we all got caught in a wormhole. So setting up the calendar for that so people can either invite us there to have training, if that's the one that makes sense, but then also holding open enrollment, open house type trainings where you can come and learn some of the tools and take them back to your people as well as some master trainer aspects of that. So also working on developing a course to help people be better at coming alongside someone else in the process as an organizational leader or ministry leader. Yeah. So and we and we even have some of our forge uh, leaders that have done some of that stuff with you guys. And I would imagine as you guys ramp that up, I, I would I would imagine it's it's a win win for uh, forge uh, and future church to kind of connect. And, and I would imagine you'll see more forge leaders uh, get certified. Yeah, I hope yeah. so. We're, we're all about the kingdom, yeah, right? Absolutely. Everyone is, is actually kingdom participating. So I am, I love the way that the kingdom and the people, we all work together. It's beautiful. Jesse, you have really challenged us today in, in thinking about how we lead and how we disciple people. If someone's listening and they're like, man, I need, I need more on this. I need help. I need somebody to come alongside me as I figure this out. Uh, what resources do you have for folks that are listening that they, they want to jump into this? Yeah. So a couple ones that I'd want to tell you about, first of all, my, your brain by Jess is my website and my Twitter handle. And that's just kind of my library brain dump space. So you can go get lost in there. There's a lot of content. Um, both video and article and journal articles and academic stuff. But I also, I do a cohort training on how to be a community that creates disciples. So community formation cohort. There'll be one that starts up in January. And that's to look specifically at how do we create these communities that make discipleship, communities that can deal with sin together, that are based in covenant, that walk along the journey with one another and receive each other current. So that's a 10-week cohort that starts up in in January that people can sign up for, as well as just splurging all the free content on Your Brain by Jess. And then there's Whoology, which is the disciple-making course to the person in the pew. And you can get to the community formation course through whoology.com as well. That's awesome. Yeah, and I would imagine we have we have we always are getting inundated with leaders who are trying to figure out missional community. Like, how do we, you know, not just like small groups called missional community, but like how do we actually, you know, how do we create communities on mission? And I think that that cohort would be fantastic because that's one of the biggest things is how do you exist as a community where you you're dealing with each other's crap and 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 how do you show grace and love and and again. Uh, again, seeing it as a liminal opportunity to go into that next, you know, phase uh, to become a beautiful butterfly or whatever it is that you are. And so, right, because yeah. we can do missional transactionally, or we can do missional transformationally. Yeah, Those are different. Yeah, huge. Well, and accepting each other as current, 
Like if we're don't have that ability, like you said, to hold space, how are we going to live missionally with, with people that we have to have that muscle. We have to have that ability. Uh, if we're going to be sent to people. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need to have you back on the podcast. We could, we could probably do a whole session just on that idea. As you were talking about that, that there's the implications, uh, for our, just the current world and all of that. It's huge. And so, yeah. Yes. The angst, you just named the angst in my soul. (laughs) Well, Jesse, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for the time. This has been, I don't say this all the time, but this, this is instantly one of my favorite, uh, conversations. And so it's been fantastic. Uh, thank you for sharing. Uh, and, and if you are listening, you guys, if you have not heard of Jesse, you need to go get connected. Uh, go check out your, your brain by Jess, Coology, Future Church Company. Get in her world. Uh, she is a gift to the kingdom and a gift to this movement uh, in, in the Western church. And so thank you so much, Jesse. Well, we are excited for what you've got going on and we're cheering for you. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful stuff. Wow, Terry, thank you so much. I mean, it's a wilderness world and I'm a wilderness girl. So, you know, to, to, to hear that that has benefit for others. Absolutely. All right. Thank you again. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America longs to see the reign of God revealed in the everyday spaces of life. To do this, we partner with local movements to mobilize the people of God to participate in the everyday mission of God. If you'd like to know more about Forge America, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com.